We start a new series as we start the, uh, officially last week was uh, the start of summer, uh, Discipleship Matters, and uh, it's a play on words because it does matter and there are matters to discuss when it comes to discipleship. There's a lot of things that discipleship isn't and there's a lot of things that discipleship is and, and it's important to understand that and we often skirt around those issues. A lot of churches say that we are a disciple-making church, and they, they, they have discipleship as one of their core values. Um, but a lot of times we see that it's highly lacking. And as we talk about bearing fruit and being a church that bears godly fruit or God's fruit, um, we want to be a disciple-making church. And, and part of that is very important. This is going to be leading up to, Lord willing, a group of seminars that we will be having and training seminars that we'll be having for the church. And we would love as many of you as possible to be a part of that coming fall and uh, winter and spring. And the idea is, is God's transformation of disordered lives. And that's the reality is, is all of our lives are disordered in some way. When God saved us, he didn't save us because we were all in order, we didn't, that we had it all together. It's, the reality is, is we are, we're all sinners, right? And there's none good, no, not one. We're all in disarray or disorder. We need the God of order to order our lives. And that's the reality of, of discipleship. Um, a lot of that has to do, and now we've seen lately, uh, it's become a really big thing to talk about counseling and counseling in that, in that regards. And discipleship and counseling really play a role hand in hand with one another. They're really two sides of the same coin. Um, you can't really do one without the other. If you're doing one, you're doing the other. If you're doing the other, you're doing the one. Um, and, and, that's, and that's a true reality. You can make uh, arguments, as some of us, we've talked this through, that really we can say that discipleship is counseling, but a lot of times we can say counseling is discipleship, but there are aspects of it that we pursue two different areas in our life. And so we're going to be going through this piece by piece and talking about a lot of areas that are really important and matter to discipleship from a biblical perspective, not from a program perspective and how we're going to make this successful, but what does God say about discipleship and what does God say is important? And so this morning, we're going to really look at a few questions, some questions that really matter that are brought up by Christ as we look through the scripture, and we're going to go back and we're going to go back and look at the tail end of last week's message and carries over into the beginning of this message. And so we're going to look in Exodus chapter 20. We're going to start there and then we're going to jump into Matthew uh, 22 and or well, actually Matthew 4, Matthew 22 and then Matthew uh, 28. So, um, so if you want to put your hand or you want to put uh, a ribbon or a piece of paper in Matthew, you can because we're going to flip from Exodus right into to Matthew. Well, let's pray and ask God uh, blessing on His Word. 
and pray that we will treat it with respect. Lord, that is our desire to honor you, uh, to treat your word with great respect. It is difficult. It's easy to be distracted. It's easy to say that these are things that we know. But Lord, I pray that our heart would be uh, filter out the distractions and simply uh, choose uh, to honor you, to love you, to obey you. And Lord, that our heart would follow you. So Lord, help us in this endeavor to look at discipleship that we could glean from your word some very important things in this regard. So Lord, we, we desire, we just, our ultimate goal this morning is to honor you. So Lord, help us to do that in, in all that we do and say this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Exodus chapter 20, we know that this is the Ten Commandments. This is uh, right before Moses sees the sin of Israel and smashes the Ten Commandments and, and uh, you know, he broke all the, the rules all at once, Right? All of them, yeah, yeah, pun. It was a, it was a punny thing, but uh, I'm, I'm trying to follow suit and and been paying attention to Pastor Ralph. He always has some uh, good puns in all of our elders' meetings, and uh, he takes everything we say seriously as he writes it down on the piece of paper, and then tells us some enlightens the load of our conversations. But Exodus chapter 20, we see the Ten Commandments. It's all about God. It's all about Really, it's about keeping him at the forefront of our mind, keeping him as God. He says, I am the Lord, your God. And here is how you're going to do that. And you remember from last week, these aren't all inclusive. Like this isn't all the rules. This is kind of like the outline of all the rules of the moral code of how we point back to the Lord, how we get our heart focus back on the Lord, and we're going to kind of show you how God uses these. Let's read them and then break them up into their, their two parts this morning. It says uh, in verse 3, it says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol of, of any likeness or what is in heaven, what is on earth, beneath or in the water under the earth, you shall not worship them nor serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third to the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to the thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the Lord, your God's name, in vain, or God or the Lord will not leave him unpunished or take his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. And on the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. You or your sons or your daughters, your male or female slave, or the cattle or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord... Uh, made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day of rest and made it holy. Verse 12, honor, which we talked about last week, honor your father and mother and your days that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. You shall not murder, 
You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not covet your neighbor's male slave or his female slave or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And all the people perceived the thunder and lightning and the flashes and the sounding of the trumpet and the mountain smoking and the people perceived it and they shook and stood at a distance. Oh, we see quite a bit here. We see a group of Ten Commandments, which is interesting. If you notice, the first four commands deal directly with God himself. He says, this is what you shall do and not do when it concerns God. This is the commands about God. This is the commands about your relationship with God. This is command how you view God. And it's interesting, and in, in, in a sense, this is how you honor God with your life. And you see, the application of honoring God with your life, it can be made uh, the distinction of verses 12 through the rest of the Ten Commandments. Uh, commands verses 5, uh, or commands 5 through 10, is a second set of commands that have to do with your neighbor and how you live your life honoring God. If you do the first four, you can then live out your life doing the next set. And so we see this idea of commands one through four describing how we love the Lord, how we honor the Lord. And then the next commands, five through ten, how we love each other. So there's a lot made as we look through Deuteronomy. It, it gives the same command that Jesus said in Matthew 22 that we'll look at later. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength. It says in Deuteronomy, uh, and, and then it doesn't say strength in, in uh, Matthew 22, but it, Jesus repeats this. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, and then you should love your neighbor as yourself. He's repeating in, in Deuteronomy. And there's the same, the same idea that it describes that if we keep these commandments, it shows how we love the Lord and also shows that if we love the Lord, we're going to love other people. Galatians, right, chapter 5, which is interesting, as it talks about the law, it says, for the law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law and everything in the law, it really, it, it doesn't hold a candle to this idea of love. But verse 15, it says, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. There's this reality that discipleship is most importantly, about a transformation of the heart. I mean, uh, I didn't make it to the PowerPoint, but it's, it's about the transformation of your heart. That's God's goal. As we think about discipleship and we look at the commands that God gave, the whole idea was how you love the Lord. And how you love the Lord that from that heart will determine how you love your neighbor. And if you can keep the, the first four commandments, then it was easier to keep the next six commandments. It's all summed up in love. And it's all about the heart. As you go through it, we're going to have a couple of messages that deal 
with the heart. And the reality is that discipleship is about the heart. You know, Jesus said, you know, you show me your treasure and I will show you what, your, what flows out of your heart. Where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. Right? It's, it's, it's this aspect of the heart. And that's why God said, you know, in Deuteronomy and also in Matthew, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Things flow out of the heart. This is the idea. This is an important part of discipleship. Now, number one, if you move back to Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4, we see Jesus talking about when he first calls disciples, when he first makes or calls people to be disciples, uh, what later on became the apostles. And the first thing we notice about discipleship that's important is discipleship becomes, uh, is important because it forces you to ask this question is, is what or who or who or what are you following? And that's a, one of the very first most important questions. So we ask the question, why is discipleship so important? Why does God talk about making disciples as a command? Why does he want us to, why does he call us disciples? Why does he say, follow me? In Matthew chapter 4, verse 19 through 20, he says this, he says, and he said to them, the first disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As Jesus first called the disciples, he said these things. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. We can learn a lot about this question is who or what are we following? That's really what's drastically important in discipleship. A lot of times when we go into a counseling realm and we begin counseling, we realize this real question is, is you're dealing with struggles in your life or things that have happened to you, we begin to realize what or who you follow. And that's what Jesus is really drawing a conclusion here when he says, follow me. Literally, there's an emphatic you. You follow me. And then I will do this. He called ordinary group of people, didn't he? Right? They weren't the, the wealthy, the elite, the leaders. They were just ordinary people. Now, one of them that he called later on was a tax collector. That was a heathen, if you ever saw one. You know, if you lived during the Roman occupation of Israel, everybody hated tax collectors. They were counted as traitors. Because, you know, they would, they would go out to collect the taxes for the Romans, but they would collect more, often twice as much, because then they would take the money for themselves that they collected. Basically, they were stealing from their own countrymen, and then they would give the taxes to the Romans and keep what they, they you know, jacked the price up. You know, how, you know, the stores, they, they, they say, you know, come and enjoy this 50% off sale, but, but, you know, the months leading up to it, they've slowly been increasing the prices. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah, I've, I've done that. I've watched it sometimes when I've been watching tools or I've been watching, you know, farm equipment, and I've, they're like, here comes a Father's Day sales coming up, and I've watched the price go up and up and up and up and up over the next few months. And sometimes it's cheaper to buy, you know, two or three months before Father's Day. Just an idea. <laughs> Same to be true about Mother's Day. 
But that's the reality. That's what was going on. But most of these guys were ordinary. They weren't anything special. And he says, follow me. Here's the thing that we can learn about what we see here. When we look at this, there was an expectation. When Jesus said to the, to the disciples, follow me, it wasn't a suggestion. It, there was a great expectation behind it. It wasn't, he wasn't just saying, hey, if you would like, follow me. It wasn't, if you think I'm good, follow me. If, if you think your life will be better with me, follow me. There was none of that. It was just simply, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, their, their intrigue might go up because they were, most of them were fishermen. They're like, wait a minute, I'm, I'm fishing for fish and now I'm going to be fishing for men. I wonder what that's all about. Now, for me, that's, that's the kind of thing as when somebody says something like that, I'm like, I'm gonna, I want to follow just to hear what they have to say. And then I'll either agree with it or condemn it. But there was an expectation Jesus fully expected them to follow him. I fear that many people today, when it comes to discipleship or when it comes to the Lord, they view the invitation of Jesus as something to consider or to pursue at a later time. Uh, you know, that, that sounds great. You know, I, I see that God is saying, you know, I need to be saved from my sin, that he's extending a gift of salvation, and he's saying, you know, surrender your life to me, follow me, and I, I see this reality that a lot of times people say, oh, I'm going to do that on a later date. I see Christians who have given their life to the Lord and say, you know, I'm, I know that I need to be saved, but I'm going to go off and do whatever I want. They really haven't grasped the concept of follow me. And that's one of the things. There was this expectation. There was, also this, there was also this authority, this obligation, this authority. Um, you know, it's like when, when Peter and Andrew in this text, uh, they received this invitation. They weren't receiving an invitation from an ordinary person saying, hey, come to my house and I'll serve you some great barbecue, right? You know, if you know, you, you, that's what I do. I say, come and eat at my house and I'll serve you barbecue. It's always usually an invitation. And sometimes it, people don't come because either they don't want to eat meat, which that's their loss, it means more for me, or they, or they have something better to do. But the reality was when Jesus said, follow me, there was, an authority, there was authority behind it. There was a God of the universe saying, follow me and I am going to do this. It was authoritative. There was an obligation to actually stop and go. There was an, there was an authority behind it. Even in the Greek, there was this idea of an authority behind it. There's not only authority, but there's also dependency. Did you notice when he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men? I will. That's a, a pretty important statement. It wasn't they will make themselves fisher. It was Jesus said, follow me and I'm going to do this. That means that they were fully dependent on Christ. You see this. Discipleship is, is when we say 
it's important to understand and ask yourself, who or what are you following? Because with who or what you're following comes an expectation, comes authority in your life, and comes who you're going to be dependent on. And then when bad things happen, it de- right? When bad things happen, things begin to fall apart because you realize you're dependent on something that wasn't true or strong or good or there wasn't, you realize you're following the wrong authority, the wrong advice, uh, and you realize maybe you had the wrong expectation, right? And that's, there was a, there's a dependency thing. We are often today, this is another great hindrance when it comes to discipleship, is that often we are not, when it comes to discipleship, aren't being dependent on the Lord doing something. Often we're dependent on what I can do. I need to do this in order for this to happen. I've got to, I got to be so good, right, in order for the church to grow, rather than simply following him. He says, I will build the church. I will make you fishers of men. It's one of the biggest things, one of the reasons, one of the big reasons why we don't share the gospel with people, and in, in that's part of discipleship, is sharing the gospel with other people, is because we're not dependent on Christ. We're dependent on what I know or how good I am, but not on Christ. But do you notice that I will make you fishers of men also has, has an idea of maturity. There's a lot in this one verse and in Mark 1.17, which is a cousin, uh, the cousin verse, it says this, And Jesus said unto them, Come uh, after me, or in same idea, come after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. In this parallel passage, Mark is, is revealing they're becoming fishers of men. It wasn't an immediate thing. It was something that they were going to learn to do. Is they're going to grow into, they were going to become this. We know this because when Jesus died on the cross and then rose again, and where did he find them after he rose again? Hiding in a locked room. Right? And he had trained them for three and a half years to become fishers of men, but they were fearful. And they ran back to the locked room. But then... After the locker room, where did they find him after that? Fishing. My favorite part of that whole sequence is, is remember Peter denied Christ three times, right? And, in, and he goes, hey, go tell Peter that he, he'll meet me there to meet me in Galilee. I love that, that Peter says, hey, just go tell him that I'm going to meet him there. And that's Peter jumps out of the boat and runs to his Savior. And he says, what are you doing? Aren't you supposed to be going out and preaching the gospel? Doing the work that I prepared you for? There's this sense of maturity. In order to be an effective disciple, to be a disciple, we must continue to follow Christ, to follow Jesus, growing in our faith as the every step of the way as we are continually following Christ, the more we become more like Christ. And the more we become like Christ, 
the more we mature and do the work that he's prepared for us to do. It isn't that now that you're saved, you're going to be instantly being, be you know, the most effective pastor, missionary, evangelist there is to man. Discipleship really tells us not only that, but there's a priority service. You know priority mail, right? It's like this is priority. Get there in one or two or three days. And if you're lucky from our neck of the woods, it's, you know, five days, <laughs> six days. <laughs> but uh, here's the thing. Is, is It's priority service. Do you notice it says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Do you see the priority? Priority there is fishing for men. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to mature you. You're dependent on me. And when you're dependent on me, as you follow me, I'm going to mature you to fish for men. There's a, it's priority. They made their living, right, fishing on the Sea of Galilee. They would continue to fish, but now they would be fishing for men. Jesus wanted them to possess the same zeal in service to him as the same zeal that they had for fishing and their livelihood. How many can say that, that your livelihood and the same zeal in which you try to make money or you provide for your home or, or you are working, do you have that same zeal as following and making or fishing for men? Right? Are you a follower of Christ? Which also leads to engagement. You have to do something. Right? Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. The making part. It's, it's the fishing part. It's the engaging part. It's something to be, we are called to an active service. Fishing for men. If we, my, my boys are, they've been begging me, you know, all the time. Dad, let's go fishing. Dad, let's go fishing. Dad, when are we going to go fishing? Are we going to go fishing this week? Are we going to go fishing next week? When, you know, it's like, can we fish twice this week? You know, <laughs> it's like I took a fishing last week. It's like, are we fishing Monday? You know, there's this great expectation, right? How would it be if I said, yeah, we're going to go fishing? And then we go to the, go to the, the river, the lake, the, the ocean, and we, we go and we take our pole and we just sit there with our pole and we do nothing. It's like, I took you fishing. Right? No, you, you got to bait the hook. You got to put the spinner on the hook. You got to cast the hook. I mean, my dad's, you know, he's, he's a heathen right now. He's out fishing. <laughs> you know? So he's, he's in, he's in uh, Canada right now. He's, he's already, by, I was out, you know, fishing for cars this morning with Ethan Hook. <laughs> nice name, Hook. And, and, and I'm getting texts from my dad. I just landed a 30-pounder. Uh, halibut, and, and then a few, you know, 30 minutes later, oh, I just got another one. It's like between 40 and 50 pounds. I'm like, Shh, I don't want to hear it. I'm like, I'm, take, I'm sending pictures. I, I'm barbecuing brisket and ribs. <laughs> it's like, kind of make him jealous. Right? You have to actually put a line in the water. When Jesus said, follow me, and I'm going to do this, it wasn't so that way they would just sit and watch. He's expecting them with authority to do what he's said. 
right? But here's the important thing. As we ask this question, it forces us to ask, who or what are we following? Is that it goes back to the emphasis, the whole point of follow me and I will make you fishers of men is to emphasize Christ. The whole point of this passage is about Christ. It's not about whether they fish or whether it's men that they're going after. It's not who they become. It's who they follow. It's about Christ. Right? Peter and Andrew and James and John, they were professional fishermen. But now their emphasis would change. They would continue to be fishermen, but instead of seeking to catch fish, they would be fishers of men, but their pursuit and their emphasis would be about Christ. You know what made them fishers of men? Do you know what made them be disciples? What made them be the apostles was Christ. It wasn't that they went out and fished for men. It was that they followed Christ. Emphasis was on who we follow. We need to grasp the significance of the call to follow Jesus. He was called, he has called us to a lifelong work of being his disciple. Follow me, he says. When he, he didn't just save us to say, that's great, that, you know, you can just be pretty and I saved you, I beautified you, now just sit there on the shelf to look beautiful for the rest of the world. Sometimes we live that way. We're going to live our beautiful life so everybody can see us, right? You know the figurine on the, or the, the Bible that you dust off every once in a while? No, he says, follow me. We know that because John 12. Listen to how he describes following Christ. Whoever, in John 12, verse 25, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Discipleship is about following him. Romans 6, 4 says, We were buried with him, uh, therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Walk following Christ. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's this expectation that, that there's an expectation that Christ is the authority, that we are fully dependent on him so that we would mature because we have a priority service agreement in our life that we are supposed to do this to be engaged in following Christ. If you didn't see that in Ephesians 2.10, that we should walk in them. Ephesians 4.1, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, just think of that, prisoner of the Lord, right? There's authority there. There's an expectation with that statement. Urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you've been called. Christ called us to save us. He called us by the gospel to follow him. 
Ephesians 4, 17 through 18. And now I say to you and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their mind. Discipleship is important because it forces us to ask who or what are you following because who you or what you're following determines how we think and how we act in our life, right? Because in don't walk, don't follow, don't go after that pattern of life because it's futile thinking. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. goes right back to the heart again. Here's the second thing you need to ask. Is discipleship is important because it forces you to ask, who or what do you love? It forces you to say, who am I following and who do I love? Once you realize who do you follow, you're going to determine, it's going to be easy to determine what or who you really love. That's where we get to Matthew 22. That's the point of the Ten Commandments, right? Is, 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 it says here, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall, right? It's a command. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. You shall love the neighbor as yourself. By the way, love is, is the all-familiar agape love. We understand. We've heard that a lot. It's a sacrificial love, but there is more to it. It's to love not based on an outcome. We don't love because we're going to be loved back. We don't love because we're getting something. That's how a lot of people love in the world, right? We've used that love in so many different ways. We use love to describe a lot of different things. I love ice cream. I love apple pie. I love barbecue. I love my kids. I love hunting and fishing. I love taking care of those things afterwards and barbecuing them, <laughs> right? I love meat. I love my wife, right? When I say I love, all of those things have a slightly different usage for the word love. When I say I, I love ice cream, that's a completely different love than I love my wife, isn't it? It should be. If it isn't, I need to go into counseling, <laughs> right? If I say I love barbecue, that's not the same as I say I love my kids. If it is, I need to go into counseling, right? But here's the thing. Love is based on the will. It was based on God's nature, based on his will. It's not based on emotions. It's, not, it's, not, it's what I prize, what I delight in. It says it's the treasure of my heart. It, love is a choice of placing value on something. When we say, I love, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, what you're saying is, is that it's not, it's just something I'm choosing to do, not because of an emotion. It's something that I, I'm placing an extreme value on because of the worth of that thing. Love is choosing to treasure something. This doesn't mean that there are no emotions involved. It just means that the love flows from a choice I make, not from a feeling I have. That's really the thing, is, is as we move forward from following Christ to loving Christ, discipleship really is forcing to say, who are you following and who do you love? 
That's why it's important. That's why we see a lot of churches struggling and we see a lot of discipleship struggling because it's more focused on what you know, not on who you love. It's focused on how much you do, not so much on who you're following. You see the difference? That leads to number three. Discipleship is important because it exercises, it creates an action, it exercises, this is Donald's favorite point, it exercises who the authority is in your life. Playing on the idea of exercise here. (laughs) Right? Matthew 28. You know one of the verses that's so often forgotten with Matthew 28? We always go to 19 and 20, right? But verse 18... Verse 18 is so, so vital. As we get into the the Great Commission, this this is what we're supposed to do as a church. This is the most important thing, right? And we get into verse 19, and we and and a lot of people have made a big deal out of it. It says, go! We we everything is go, go, go. But that's actually not the command. Right? And we, we talk about baptizing. we got to baptize, baptize, baptize. And that's not actually the command. And, and we talk about teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. That's actually not the command in this verse. Right? And we make all this big deal about all this, but we very rarely look at verse 18. It says, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, as you go. Make disciples. That's the command, actually. Making disciples is the command. But did you see the, uh, the authority? It exercises who the authority is in your life. Discipling, when we follow Christ, when we love Christ, we make disciples. We show who is the authority of our life. We're either being discipled or we're making disciples. By the way, the idea of authority here is a power of choice Liberty of doing as one pleases, primary liberty of action. Um, it's, it's, it's amazing that all the influence of this word in the Greek culture. This is the idea. It's the power of authority to influence. Do you know why it's important to follow Christ and to love Christ? Because if you're going out and doing a bunch of things as a church, you're not under his authority. Exercising and being under God's authority influences. When he says, all authority has been given to me, he says, he's basically, it's the power of authority of influence. It's the power of right. I am right. Privilege. Right? It's, it's, it's who is right. It's the power of rule or government. Command to be obeyed. When we follow Christ, when we love Christ, He is our authority in our life. We're exercising His authority. When we're doing programs, when we're doing and, and just doing a bunch of things, when we're just doing things in order to, and when we do doing based discipleship, we become, we're not exercising His authority, we're not following His command. When we're doing just knowledge-based discipleship, just do learn a bunch of things, 
We're not actually following Christ. We're not actually exercising and setting up as authority. Jesus has the authority to do whatever he wants to do. He doesn't have to check with a higher authority. Uh, You know how it is, right? Kids come up and say, hey, Dad, can I have a snack? Right? Go check Mom. Go check with Mom, right? (laughs) They're like, Dad, but you're the authority of the house. But I'm not the authority of the of the refrigerator, <laughs> right? It's like mom has to cook. Don't steal what she's cooking, right? There's no higher authority. There's no one to check with. He is the authority. And he says, make disciples, right? Make disciples. And here's the thing. Discipleship is important because it's what Jesus commissioned us to do, to make disciples, The grammar here of making disciples is the only verb in these sentences that is an imperative, a command. The idea is that the focus is on what Jesus commissioned us to do, to make disciples. It's what he's asked us to do. He doesn't command us to go. He doesn't command us to baptize. He doesn't command us to teach people to observe his commands. He only commands us to make disciples, methetes, which is followers. But guess what? He tells us how to make disciples. Do you know how we make disciples? It's, the, it's all the ings, the ings of the passage, the ings, right? The going, the baptizing, and the teaching. You know, yet, guess what? He gave us the answer. How do we go? It's like, as you go, as you're going, Make disciples. As you baptize, make disciples. As you're teaching them, observe all you're commanding. That's how we make disciples. To follow Christ. Here's the thing, guys. Who are you following? Because I guarantee that it's going to determine who and what you love. Who and what you love will determine what you set up as authority in your life. It's how you're going to make decisions in your life. And we know that the things of this world are futile. They're vain. They're dark. They cause problems. God wants us to follow Him, to love Him, to make disciples. Discipleship is really important to the Lord. It's how we begin to change. It's how we begin to mature. It's how we set up the right authority structure in our life. Discipleship is not for the elite, you know, the elite, the leaders in Christianity, the pastors, the missionaries. It's for us. It's for all Christians. This command, by the way, was for all all believers. Too often we see the gospel and discipleship being separate. But the reality is salvation is the first step and commencing in a life of discipleship. It's all together. Salvation should not be separate from discipleship. We shouldn't lead people to Christ and then leave them there. We should teach them to follow and love Christ. Some have neglected discipleship in evangelism, which tends to be easy believism. Just you know, just believe this and God will take care of you. You'll have fire insurance and everything will be great. 
right? But no, he is expecting you to follow him. We have placed the emphasis upon finding a person to be our leader. This is often a mistake in discipleship. It's often a mistake in counseling. We often look, I need to find somebody that's smarter than me, that knows more than me, so then they can just give me the answer so I can just get out of whatever problem I'm in. The reality is this. This is a mistake. Rather than developing a dependence on Christ himself. This is the most important thing. Is we're meant to be dependent on Christ. Our heart is meant to be dependent on Christ. Our thoughts are meant to be following Christ. We're not meant to just go off willy-nilly. Who and what are you dependent on? Don't mistake counseling or discipleship as just something that we do or know or dependent on. Yeah, and this is one of the worst things I see. There's a lot of churches are like, oh, we need biblical counselors, and, and they make it a program, and they just do a bunch of things. And, and they just do a bunch of things, but people, are, their heart isn't changing. Their outside is changing. They've made legalists. <laughs> just do, 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 do all these things, or no, 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 all these things. But they're, not de- they're dependent on, a, on right living, but not on the right authority for that right living. The whole point of all these passages is being dependent on Christ. It's a lot, but that's the introduction for our summer. And we often, I don't want you to get the wrong idea as we talk about discipleship. I'm not asking you to do a bunch of things. I'm not asking you to go find the right leader. Although you can choose poorly in finding somebody to encourage you, help you. Because if they're not dependent on Christ, don't spend time with them. Don't ask them to disciple you or to be your mentor or to be, don't, I love what Paul said perfect mentor. He said this, follow me as I follow Christ. If I'm not following Christ, don't follow me. That's the point. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. You're not going to be perfect right out of the gate. The, The disciples never were. In fact, one of them wasn't even saved. Judas was not a true follower of Christ. He was expecting you know, the king on earth. And he died miserably. And Peter denied Christ, but he was saved, became a powerhouse for Christ. They, they still struggled with following him, didn't they? But you read First Peter and Second Peter, and you realize Peter's heart changed, right? He really did love the Lord as the Lord is God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. So much so he said, Hey, don't worry about it when you face trials of various kinds, right? Don't, don't you expect to suffer, right? Christ suffered, will suffer. But yet, he denied Christ because he didn't want to suffer. Boy, did he change because his heart changed. Where's your heart? 
because that's where your treasure will be. Lord, we thank you for the good news that when you saw our sin in our life and our, our sinful heart, you came to be the propitiation. You came to be the go-between to pay for our sins, to take your wrath. All of your wrath, God, Christ took for us when he went to the cross. And he conquered death when he rose again because he was God. He was you. Lord, thank you for the work that you provided for us, this gift, the perfect sacrifice. Jesus, who was 100% God and 100% man, who became our stand-in to take our penalty that we might be declared right in your eyes. That good news carries with us for the rest of eternity. That grace in which we now find our life to be able to follow you, to be able to walk in the good work that you've prepared for us beforehand, the work that you said you would mature us to do, that we're dependent on you to be able to do those things. We're not, Paul knew, he says, I'm just weak. But when I am weak, he said, Lord, he, he trusted you and that you would be greater than his weakness. Lord, I pray that if someone here doesn't realize what it means to follow you, what, it isn't, what the gospel really is, what you did for them, that they would turn to you and see that you have all authority and that we need to surrender to you, to submit our life to you, to treat you as sole authority of our life and be saved from our sins. Thank you for the gift that you provided for us. Pray that, that right now someone here that's either watching or listening, Lord, that they would, they would call upon you and that with their heart they'd realize they need you, that they would believe, trust in you with all their heart and lean not on their own understanding, but Lord, that they would turn and acknowledge you, repent from their sin. And with their mouth, they would confess you as their Lord. Lord, thank you for the gift that you've provided for us. May we enjoy it. Not once, but every day as we wake up and as we go to bed, thanking you for the grace that you've given us today. May we be your humble disciples. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.